Matthew 22, teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. John 12, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer do, do I call you servants, for the servants does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide. So whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. Romans 13, owe no one anything except to love each other. For the one who loves another has fulfilled the law. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery. You shall not murder. You shall not steal. You shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no wrong to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfilling of the law. Galatians 5. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. 1 Thessalonians 4, now concerning brotherly love, you have heard no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another, for that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers through Macedonia. But we urge you, brothers, to do this more and more, and to aspire to live quietly, and to mind your own affairs, and to work with your hands as we instructed you, so that you may walk properly before outsiders and be dependent on no one. First Peter 1, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable through the living and abiding word of God. 1 Peter 4, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling as each has received a gift. Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's very grace. Let us pray. Lord, I ask that these words from you would lay heavy on our heart. That we would understand what marks your children is love. How we live, what we do, how we think, how we talk how we treat each other. Lord, impact our lives in amazing ways today. Encourage us by the love that you showed us. Let us be the light that goes into a dark world and in a dark world that knows hate. Let us be the love that shines so bright that it cannot be hidden. I love you. We pray this in your glorious and amazing name. Amen. Amen. I don't normally start this way. But I wanted the weight of Scripture to be the starting point with where we go today. 
I wanted us to understand that I'm just scratching the surface uh, on, on all the passages that revolve around love and who we are. That there is this thing that we are characterized as Christians as one defining trait above all traits. And that's love. That's who we are. There is no other way for us to act. And what John is going to do with where we are today is he's going to start to make his shift into the second major theme in this book, which is God is love. That is where he's going. And at times it can feel like this idea could be isolated to one letter, which is why we need to see the fullness of Scripture and what it says about love. And so what I want to do is I just want to go ahead and jump into our passage today which is 1 John 3, 11 through 24. And then I just want to talk about what he has to say about that and what that means for us. Fair enough? For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life. Because we, were, <clears throat> because we love the brothers. Whoever does not love abides in death. Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. But if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. By this we shall know that we are of the truth and reassure our hearts before him. For whoever, for whenever our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows everything. Beloved, if your heart does not con condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do what pleases him. And this is the commandment that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he has commanded us. Whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him. And by this, we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. John is going to start this letter and he's going to say, you've heard this from the beginning. What's he talking about? What's he saying from the beginning? What is this message that we've heard from the beginning? It's what we just read. If you notice, I read a lot of what Jesus said. Matthew 22, John 13, John 15. Those are the words of Christ. This is the message they heard from the beginning. See, Jesus spoke about love constantly, constantly talking about love and his Father. And it makes sense, right? Because this is the heart of the Father. And if he is the incarnation of God himself, he is going to be talking about what is most important to God. So it makes sense that he would talk about love. And not only would he talk about love, he would live this love out with all that he came in contact with. And what John is going to do once again, because this is, this is how John works, he's going to use contrast. He's constantly going to be working in contrast to show who we are and the world with sin and who God is without sin and what that looks like and how those interact. And he's going to do this with the idea of what it looks like to love your brother or your sister. And what he's going to do is going to go all the way back to the first family in Genesis 4. And he's going to use this contrast between what Cain-likeness looks like and what Christ-likeness looks like and compare these two families. 
So to recap the story, I'm not going to read all of Genesis chapter 4. That's where you would find that story. But the, the highlight is this, is that Cain and Abel were the sons of Adam and Eve, and they were going to take an offering to God. Now, they both had different professions. One was a farmer, and one was worked with livestock. And so Cain, he brought his offering that was of the earth, of the, the grains and things like that. He brought that for his offering. And then Abel brought his offering, which was livestock, and he brought that as well. And as they went to give their offering to God, God accepted Abel's and did not accept Cain's. And this made Cain furious. And God went and spoke to him and said, hey, I know what's going on in your heart. I know what you're going to do. Don't do what you're about to do. And so what he did is he went and found his brother and said, hey, brother, let's go out into the field and have a conversation. And in that moment, he slaughtered him. He killed his brother. And you got to start asking the question, why in the world would John use this illustration? Like, why? We're talking about love, and now we're talking about Cain and Abel all the way back in this evil that took place. He's laying out two families with two very different ways of living. And John, 1 John 3, 12 through 15 is going to be the example of how not to love your brother. And 1 John 3, 16 through 18 is going to be the example of how to love your, your brother. But the question still stands, why did this happen? Why did this situation with Cain and Abel go down the way that it did? See, if you start to look at the, the words that are used in that particular section, we see that Cain brought an offering. But when it talks about Abel, it says that he brought the first fruits and the fat of his portions. See, there's a distinction that Abel did something differently, that he gave his first and his best, while Cain just gave something. You know, it, it's interesting because God is, is not like us. See, we can see things like, oh, you're doing the right things. You went and you brought an offering. You're doing the right stuff. But the problem is this, is that we're not God, but God judges the heart and the motives of the individual. And that's where it really started to be, that we see that Cain was going through the motions. I just got to do this thing. I mean, we would never do that in church, that, that we would never just show up and go through the motions on Christmas and on Easter and do those things, right, and tithe. And we would never do that. That's other people. But anyway... We see that he was going through the motions. And as God saw his heart, he's like, what are you doing, man? And God loved Cain so much that he wouldn't allow him to worship him falsely. And he pulled him aside and he said, if you want to be accepted, do what is right. He gave him another chance. He gave him an opportunity. And then he warned him of what was going to happen. If, if you continue down this path, Sin is waiting, and it will have its day if you let it. And then this other problem showed up is that, see, Abel worshiped God appropriately. He, he did what was right. He understood who he was. He understood his sin. He understood God and being a holy and just God. And we said that he gave his first, his best, and his most is what Abel did. You know what that does? That highlights Cain's lack of worship. That highlights Cain's wickedness. 
And so when we see this happen, there is this screaming, blaring voice saying, you're not right with God. You're not accepted by God. You're living in a sinful way. You're not doing what God would want you to do. And instead of looking into his heart and dealing with the brokenness of his heart and why his motives were off, he thought it was better to silence the voice that was pointing out his wickedness. See, living in right relationship with God, doing what pleases God, it's not popular with the world. In John 15, in verses 18 through 20, Jesus says this, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you also. It's not the only time that was spoken of. You can read that in 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13, and you can read that in Luke 6, 22 as well if you want to go study that more and kind of just go down the rabbit hole. But it all points to the big idea. If you live for God, you will look different than the world. And if you look different from the world, then persecution is sure to come. And what John is doing, he's linking the first part and the second part of his letter together in this section. That God is light. That God is truth. Light and truth always expose sin and darkness. And that's what was happening with Cain and Abel. See, John's setting up this case for love by looking at the opposite side of the coin, which is hate. Hate in your heart. It's, it's where it leads. It's what he's, he wants to get to that. And I'm not going to read it, but in Matthew 5, 21 through 22, it says, you've heard it said, do not commit murder. It says, but I say, if you have anger in your heart towards another brother, or, or if you hate your brother, you're as guilty as committing murder, right? That's the paraphrased version of it. Because all sin starts in the heart. Murder is the last stop on the train of hate. Sometimes it happens fast, and sometimes it happens slow, but it is always the last stop. And so what we see John is going to do in this section is that he's going to give us four we know statements. Now, we've named this series, we know, maybe you've caught on, it goes, we know, dot, 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 and then we have a phrase after it. That's why we've done that, because we keep seeing that John keeps saying, we know, we know, we know, we know. And in this section, he's going to say these we know statements four times in this one section. And so I'm going to read those, and I'm going to kind of boil it down to the big idea. And the first one is this, is in uh, verse 14, says, we know that we have passed out of death into life. And so what we know is this, we know life. See, we, we know that we were once dead. The Bible said that we were spiritually dead, that there was nothing in us that allowed us to go to God, to pursue God, to be in relationship with God. And because of that, we were spiritually dead, which would ultimately lead to our physical death. We speak about eternal life with Jesus. There is life and that there is death. And those that have placed their life in Jesus, they are no longer spiritually dead. 
that they're alive. That there's this idea, as Jesus was resurrected, he's showing this is what happens when you've placed your life in my life, that you too will be resurrected. We're talking about baptisms, and I really want to fill this tank on Easter. And so we are stepping out in faith that there are people that have not been baptized that we want to baptize. And the idea is that there are these symbols that happen in baptism, right? You're standing there and you're saying, this is my old life, my sinful life, my broken life. And when you go under the water, it represents you being buried. We don't stay down, do we? we hopefully, we, we pull you up. We pull you up. <laughs> You're like, do you? No, we don't. We actually bring you out of the water. I, I promise. When we bring you out of the water, that represents that you have a new life in Christ. You've been saved. You're, you're showing the inward uh, actions that have happened in you outwardly. You're showing the world like, I am a new creation in Christ. It doesn't save you, but you're showing that this is what's happened to you. And that's what we're talking about. You are no longer dead, that you are alive. And we will be with him for forever. In Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 5, we've got this big section that talks about that. It says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. This is a big one right here. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. For those that have placed their faith in Jesus, you are no longer dead. You are no longer separated from God. And your eternity is secure. That's the good news. That's what we get to stand on. We've been talking about it for weeks, and John keeps saying, you can have assurance, you can know, you can know, you can know. So if this is what Cain looks like to not love your brother, then what John is going to do is going to show us how to love your brother perfectly. What it looks like when sin rules your life is Cain, and what it looks like when Jesus rules your life. And the byproduct, the very nature, is the character of God, which is love. Verse 16, we get our, our next we know statement. It says this, by this we know love, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. This is the hero passage for the day. This is the big one. If you remember any passage, remember this section, memorize it, know it. But we can know sacrifice. We know love because we've seen love. The perfect love. This is the gospel of Christ. At the heart of love is always sacrifice. It's what purchased our salvation, that there was a sacrifice where Jesus laid down his very life so we could have life. He knew that we were dead. He knew that we couldn't save ourselves. We, he knew that we didn't have the ability to do anything. He saw us in our need. He saw us in our brokenness. And he sent his son to come down to live the life that we couldn't live to take the punishment for sin that we deserved. And then he extends his life to us. That is our savior. That is love as he's lived it out. I mean, think about this. He saw how desperate we were, but we couldn't do anything. Someone said once, and I, and I thought it was good, it says, you know, when you're spiritually dead, dead people don't do anything. 
You're like, well, I got to do these. No, you're dead. You can't do anything. You don't have the ability. We need someone living to do it. We need a substitution. We need someone to take our place. And, and then you even think, you go a step further, that, that God has to judge sin. He can't let sin go unjudged because he's a just God. He's not going to brush sin under the table and say, oh, it's okay. You just sin it up all you want. It's okay. Just give me a hug. No. So because he has to judge sin and we go, well, that sins are just my actions. It's not me. No. It comes from your heart. It's a part of who you are that you've inherited sin. And so he has to deal with you. And so... We can't even go to him. See, the gospel shows that Jesus put himself at a disadvantage so we could advance to a better position. He made himself nothing so we could become something. It is truly the greatest example of, of what a sacrifice looks like, that he would die for us, his life so we could have life. But then he tells us, that we have to lay our lives down for, for the brothers. What is he saying? Like, I mean, you're like, is this what we signed up for, Simon? So what we see is as, as John is speaking, I want to be really clear. There is an audience that he has written this message to. And we can try to infer stuff. And I think that you could probably find it in Scripture. But what he's talking about right now, he's talking about loving those that are inside the family of God. He is talking about Christians, those that are a part of the church family. That is who he's speaking about, and that what he's, that's what he's speaking to. We need to understand that, that, that that's the men and women that he's speaking of, and it ties us back to the big example in the beginning with Cain and Abel, right? That's a family unit. So it makes sense that he's talking about this family unit as body of believers that worship and love Jesus Christ. That's who he's talking about. That's where we are. It's our earlier example from Genesis. He's not telling us that we have to go out and die for others, although that may happen for some, but he's going to explain what he means in the next two verses. So he makes this really big statement about, you know, we should lay down our lives as well, but he tells us in verse 17 and 18, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart against him, how does God's love abide in him? Little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. What he's saying is this, if you have the ability, if you have the resources, if you have someone in need in the body, in the church, and you do nothing, how can you say that you have God in you? If this is who God is, if he is the, the God of love that, that gives his best all the time to those that don't deserve it, how can we say that we are like God if he abides in us, if we don't start to live out who he is? And so you look around and go, where are their needs? How can I help? That's what he's saying. Like, look around, open your eyes. Sometimes we just gaze at ourselves all day long like, oh, look at me. And we just don't look up and look around at the body around us, that there are, there are people hurting, that there are people in need, that there are people that can't do the things that they need to do. This is the very DNA that flows through us because Jesus has given us a new heart. And that new heart is filled with the sacrificial blood of Jesus. And if that blood flows through us, it should be the natural outpouring of who we are as individuals to love others in the same way. That's what he's getting at. I say this a lot, 
and I'll just keep saying it. There's a lot of things you'll hear like, you say the same things a lot. I do that a lot for a reason. Jesus will never ask us to do something that he hasn't already done perfectly himself. Ever. He will always be the perfect example of what that looks like. He's like, will you do as I say, not as I do? No. He showed us what it looked like. While we were enemies of God, he did that. Now, I want to I stop real quick, and I want to say, this can be very discouraging if you're like, oh, man, Simon's right. I'm the worst. I'm not loving people good. I, I, I'm going to beat myself up. I, I'm not a good person. I'm a horrible... We can go down that road, can't we? I've been here for, believe it or not, maybe it feels short, maybe it feels long, depends on how you view me. I've been here for eight months now. <laughs> Like, it feels like eight years. <laughs> when will he leave? I'm just getting warmed up. <laughs> here we go. <laughs> but the truth is this. I've been here for eight months, and in the eight months that I've been here, can I tell you something? You're good at loving each other. I have watched you. I have listened to you. I'm sneaky. I stand around corners and hear a conversation. Like, that's weird. I know, but I like to know what's going on. And I hear how you meet needs in each other's lives. I've seen people have car payments paid for, utilities paid for, rent paid for, someone staying in a house. Uh, I, I heard this story this week that there was someone who needed a car and, and you guys, you didn't just give one, you gave two. You're like, pick. You're like, wow, it's like a dealership. <laughs> like, how does this work? You guys are good at loving each other, and I want you to be encouraged. I want you to know you're doing this well. I mean, we read the section where he's like, and I don't need to tell you because you're doing it. But he says what? Do it all the more. Keep doing it. Don't stop. Don't get off the gas. Love each other well. I mean, I just, I didn't understand this when I first came to church. This, I just didn't have a compartment for it. So like I went to Australia, I went on this missions trip. You're like, oh, real hard work for the Lord. <laughs> we sang and danced at high school. So we took the abuse, but, but we gave the gospel message. And so we had these host families that looked out for us and our host family was the worst. They didn't love us well at all, but our friends had really good host families. You're like, that's so bad. I speaketh only the truth. <laughs> And I remember we would hang out at our friends' host family all the time because they were awesome. Now, I wasn't poor, but we didn't have a lot of extra cash growing up, okay? So I wasn't like, don't, I'm not painting this weird picture. We just didn't have a lot. And so when I went on this trip, it was everything we had out of all the fundraising just to get me there. So I showed up with like 40 bucks. I'm like, I got spending money. They're like, that is not going to cut it, Mr. Price. <laughs> And so this family found out, this Christian family found out, they just gave me a wad of cash. They're like, hey, we heard you didn't really have any money to, to have fun, so we want you to, we just want to show you this love. I'm like, what? I remember that all the camps that I went to, the, I mean, I'd laugh now because they're cheap now. They were expensive then. I'm like, I'm not going to be able to pay to go to camp. And these families would pay for me to go to camp. Let me tell you something. Those were some of the most impactful weeks of my life and some of the largest decisions that I made about who I was going to be as a Christian. That is where I first had the desire to become a pastor at those camps. 
I already shared the stories about when we were between jobs and for nine months, people just showed up and paid our rent and our more. They paid everything. I think of my fa- this family called the Odells. Um, they were great. I mean, they were just wonderfully generous people. And they would have me do, I, I became like their chore boy. I don't know how, like I just showed up at their mansion and they're like, hey, do this work. And I'm like, okay. They didn't pay me like 12 times more than it was worth. They're like, wash my car. Here's $150. I'm like, all right. Thank you, Jesus. I should go into the car washing business. <laughs> and the Odells were so kind and they loved me well. And they would take us, uh, my wife and I, when we were dating, they would take us into different rooms and we'd talk about what it meant to be a Christian man and a Christian woman and how to love God and worship God appropriately. And the church just loved me. I have such a deep love and affection for the church because I experienced it firsthand. It was so impactful for who I am and it changed the very core and the essence of who I was a greedy, stingy little person. Still little, but I, I'm not as stingy anymore. Sorry, I'm a little, I'm a little punchy this morning. <laughs> now, there may be some of you here like, well, I'm not loving like that, Simon. I get it. I was there once too. My hope would be is that we've been reading through God's word, as we've been reading through what it means to be defined as a Christian with love and generosity, that you would start to have your heart penetrated. They would start to change who you are in such a way that you would have a desire to live that out. See, Jesus spoke about this idea of serving others all the time. Uh, Mark 10, 45, John 10, 11, John 15, 12. But Paul would say it this way in Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others, that we would be a hands-on and hands-out kind of church. And what I mean by that is that we are hands-on, that we are involved in each other's lives. That is real community. If you think that you can come here once a week and, and get the Simon Show for an hour and split and that's church, you've missed everything. You've, you've missed all of it. This is about us walking together, being to, I get to talk with so many of you throughout the week. It's one of my highlights. Like, how do you get anything done? I don't know how I get anything done. But I constantly have people in and out of my office because I love people because we're family now. We're family. We're connected by the blood of Christ. Like, wouldn't you do this for someone in your family if they were in need? Like, wouldn't you like, oh, you need a place to say, okay, okay come, come live with us. You need some money, oh, let's figure it out. We'll, we'll figure out how to get you. You need a place to stay, you need a car. We would do that. What, what John is saying is that our relationship is even deeper than the family blood that we have because the blood of Christ is greater than the blood of family. And we are connected now and we will be connected for eternity. See, when I... When I was changed with this way of thinking, you know what's crazy is like as I've gotten older, like God has blessed our family in tremendous ways. We love giving money away now. We love giving stuff away. We love caring for people in the church. And I was never like that. And we've done it in some small ways 
and in some mean ways and some pretty crazy ways. And I don't want to talk about it because I'm not trying to point to me at all. But what I'm saying is that this kind of love that I experienced changed how I live. And I'm not talking about the prosperity gospel. I'm not saying, well, if you sow this money, then God's going to give you a thousand times more. It's not word of faith. Belief. That is not what we're talking about. We condemn that. We reject that. That is a lie from the pit of hell. Hear me on that. We're not talking about this prosperity. We're talking about I have been changed by the gospel, which changes how I interact with the brothers and sisters in Christ, which then in turn changes how I interact with the world. That's what we're talking about. We give not to get. We give because we want to be like Christ. That's why we give, and that's why we're generous. All right, I got to get to the next statement because we're just, I get stuck on this all day long. The next one is in verse 19. And it says, by this we shall know that we are of the truth. So we know truth. Now, as we live this kind of love out, as we live like Christ, it is going to give us more assurance of our faith because we're watching God work in our heart. We're watching him transform us. We're watching him make us into a new creation. See, he's alive. And because he's alive, we're alive. Now, there are two ways that we can go with this. We're talking about the condemning of the heart and where we're going with this. We can think that we're not doing enough. We can think that um, I don't have enough faith or I'm not trusting God or, oh, I have to give more. And again, we're moving into that prosperity idea. Like, if I don't give, I don't have enough faith. That's not what we're talking about. You can start to think, oh, man, I, I, Jesus' death was just not enough for me or God doesn't love me or, you know, oh, I, I just don't think that I'm, I'm, I'm good enough to be saved. by. No, stop. That's the, that's the wrong way. That's a sinful way that we would believe those lies. God is greater than our doubts. God is greater than the world and its whispers of lies in our life that makes us think that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't sufficient. See, he is bigger than that. And here's the thing. This is what I love. I know that I'm not going to do this perfectly. Like, I'm just not going to love perfectly because I'm not Jesus. I'm just not. But you know what I love? Even when I try to love well and I don't do it the right way or I fail, that God knows my heart and he knows my motives and I'm trying. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to be like the one that saved me. And so because he knows my motives, it's okay. He gets where I'm going. He's, he's doing a work in my life. I'm becoming like Jesus one day at a time as I trust him, as I step out in faith, as I let go of the old self and put on the new self that I have in Christ. And this builds confidence that we should know that we are in relationship with God. If God is light and truth and Jesus is light and truth, and if he's taken up residency in our heart, then we are now light and truth. Now, there's another flip side of the coin is that your heart may convict you and it might be right. Like, there's legitimately, like, there's sin there. There's a problem. Like, that is not good. And this is what I love is as, as our hearts are convicted of sin... We can go to God because he is greater than our sin as died. He has died for our sin. He has taken care of it on the cross. He is bigger than our failings. He's bigger than the things that have happened to us. And he forgives us if we bring our sin to him. He said so in first, he starts off first in chapter one, first John one, nine. We confess our sins. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins, right? We know that he said this, you can, you can come to him. We are constantly taking our lives to the foot of the cross all the time. Well, not you, Simon. You're a, yes, every day, multiple times a day, 
I go to the foot of the cross because I need Jesus just as much as you do. I am just as broken as you. I'm just as dependent upon the, the Lord of the universe for everything in my life. This is the confidence that allows us to go to God with prayer. As he convicts us, we confess our sins and he removes those sins as far as the east is from the west and we can go before our Lord with all of our prayers, all of our desires, all of our hopes. And then we get our last statement all the way down in verse 24. And by this we know that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So the last one is we know that we are filled or we know that we abide. As we get to the end of the section, John's going to bring this really cool picture of the Trinity working together in our lives. You're like, what's the what, Trina what? It's not the woman from the Matrix. It's, it's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's who we're talking about. That all three are working in conjunction in our lives in different ways. So... It starts in one place and one place only. The confession of Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. If we aren't born again, then we can never have a new heart. If we don't have a new heart, it can't beat like Jesus. It doesn't be like Jesus. We're not going to be able to love the way that Jesus loved. But because we have, we can now trust God. Then he abides in us and he gives us this new life. This was the life that we lost all the way back in the garden. The intimacy with God, the connection to God, the life with God always. And then he gives us the Holy Spirit that resides in our hearts now to keep us, to convict us of sin when we are estranged from God's word and what he would want for us. To open our eyes to the scriptures, to understand what we're reading, to empower us to share Jesus. And it's funny, the term used to describe the Holy Spirit by Jesus was, thank you. I'm like, man, you guys leave me hanging. Helper, yes. <laughs> Don't be afraid to shout out. If you're wrong, I'll just point it out to everybody. <laughs> helper. He's a helper. What does that mean? It means that we can't do it. We don't have the ability in and of ourselves to love this way. So we need a helper to allow us to live in this way. How good is God that he's like, hey, I took care of these things. Good luck. No. So he still gets the glory. He still gets the honor. He can live this out in our lives, not us. See, we're called to be the contrast of this world. Holy people. For his own purpose. Holy, we know what that word means. It means set apart. set apart. Exactly. We're different. We're not like the world. We are going to look different. We are to show them who Jesus is every day and how we speak, how we act, how we think, and how we give. If murder is the last stop on the train to hate then we see that sacrifice is the last stop on the train to love. Christians must live a life of sacrifice. There is no other way. There is no other way. We saw it in our lives when Jesus sacrificed himself for us so we could be connected to the Father and have our sins forgiven. 
And we can partake in that same kind of love today, every day with each other and point to a dark and broken world what God's look like, what his love looks like. You know, it, we want to change the, I, I just, I don't talk to me like, I don't want to change the world. I, I love the world the way it is. Don't, don't change the world. You're great. No one talks to me that way. Everyone says, I want to change the world. I want to be the difference in the world. I want to see the world become a better. I, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not. You hear that all the time, right? You know how to do it? We actually have the solution right here. It's to love each other in the church family, specifically brothers and sisters in Christ. You want to see the world change? This is how we're going to do it. We're going to love each other. As the world sees this kind of love, it is drawn to the very thing that they desire. They desire being loved. They desire acceptance. They want what Cain wanted all the way back. I want to be accepted by God. And God is saying, I have accepted you. We just, we're going through the book of Acts. How did the church grow? They, 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 they took evangelism explosion and they went door to door knocking. And they, what did they do? They loved each other. As they loved each other and gave sacrificially of themselves, everyone saw and they're like, what is going on? What kind of crazy people live like this? They're, they don't, they, they're not the same race. They're not from the same family. They're not in the same socioeconomic bracket. Some are slaves. Some are masters. How are all these people interacting this way? I want that. I want to be loved like that. Because when we live like this, it is a beautiful example of the gospel of how God does that with us. And as they see changed lives that live different than the rest of the world, they are drawn like a moth to a flame. You want to change the world? Start loving the church family. Let the world see how we live. Like, but Simon, there's so many churches and there's so... I'm talking about us. Can we just start here? Can we impact our neighborhood? That's how we're going to see the world changed. John 13... Jesus says this in verse 34 through 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. How come? By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. That's how the world knows. That's how the world sees. That's how it gets to have like, we all, we want to see Jesus. We want to see Jesus. Love each other and they'll see Jesus. This is great. Like, what a great privilege that God has called us to do this and has given us the ability to do it. We bring love, the love of God to the family of God that meets the rest of the world with where they are. The question today that I will leave with as we pray is what marks you? Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this message. I know that it's just been rattling around in my head all week and I've been wrestling through it and thinking about it and trying to figure out how to communicate this effectively to your people. And Lord, I don't know where everybody is, but I do ask that you would be working in their hearts. I do ask that you would be opening their eyes. 
Lord, for, the, for this church that's been so kind and even generous to us, that we would continue to be a loving church, meeting the needs in each other's life the same way that you met the biggest need in our life. Lord, may we connect our love with the love of the gospel and everything that we say and everything that we do. Lord, give us the ability to do it because I know that I don't want to most of the time. But greater is you that's in me than he is in the world. We love you. Thank you for loving us. We pray this in your glorious name. Amen.